This is Louise Rennes and you're listening to the Divorce Magazine Canada podcast. Hey, are you or someone you care about considering, dealing with, or being through a divorce or separation? Well, you're in the right place. You don't have to do this alone. There are people who care and want to help. Hi, I'm Dina Court, an author, blogger, publisher, and empowerment coach. Thanks for joining me on the Divorce Magazine Canada podcast. You are going to hear from our team of experts and professionals how to navigate this difficult transition in your life easier, more efficiently, and with better outcomes. Did you know we host online divorce resource groups that are free to attend and everyone is welcome? Check out the links in our show notes and be sure and join us. We love bringing experts to you. Please refer to our terms of service available on our website, divorcemagazinecanada.com and stay tuned at the end for the legal language. Ready? Here we go. She's back. Louise Rellis has been a fan favorite. She's a youth support worker, a traumatologist that works with youth that are in crisis. And today she has a message for parents, some tips, some information, some suggestions. Stay tuned. Hey, Louise, I am thrilled to have you back. Anybody who is joining us for the first time, I would suggest that you go back and listen to episode number 26, where we first meet Louise and hear about what she does and how she serves the youth who uh, mostly the ones that are at high risk, but also others. And today I am offering her some time to speak to parents because that is where this starts. And she would like parents to be able to understand there's naturally going to be some resistance sometimes or some questions that they will have. And this is a way to understand uh, how Louise will have that conversation with you and how she approaches working with youth. Welcome, Louise. Thank you. Thank you again for having me back, Dina. And I apologize to anybody who does go back to episode 26 and finds it hard to understand me if I if I talk too fast at times or because I, I I have been told a time or two from a couple of Canadians that um, I need to slow down, that it's hard to understand me at times. And I, I recognize when it comes to these topics with kids and what I do, I'm very passionate. So I, I get a little bit excited when I'm, I'm talking. <laughs> so apologies. <laughs> Well, I think what really shows through and anybody who listens to that episode is going to see that and they'll see it again today is the very caring heart that you bring and that you are a genuine, authentic human being that is a parent and has experienced those struggles. And that is the person that is wanting Mm. to reach out and help. So yeah, please tell us about what you do and how parents... Yeah can uh, uh, be I am involved. a failing parent more often than I want <laughs> to be too um and I I think I kind of touched on a few um, I might repeat myself too and, and from the previous episode so apologies but I do know I touched on where um when I um 
talk to the families first, the parent and kid. I do say, if you saw me with my own kids, you would not want me helping your kid. And it is very true. We are so different when we are not emotionally involved. I am one of the biggest hypocrites out there. I am just glad my kids don't hear me in when I'm talking with my clients because they would call me out so many times. I make mistakes more often than I wish I did when it comes to my parenting. Um, but I think what what I try to share with parents is that um, I'm here for the kids. I'm not here to judge parents. I'm not here to criticize parents. I'm not here um, um, in any way, shape or form in that. And, and, and sometimes, especially the high risk, they've already been judged in their lives. Um, they've had a not even from services, but they've had a lifetime of judgment, um, especially in high risk the higher risk clients that I have, there's a lot of generational traumas going on. So their parents came through a cycle of as kids, they were judged by their community. They were judged and mistreated by their community, by those around them, unfortunately, by teachers and, and environments that they were in, um, which kind of escalated their um, apprehensions to access support um, and have been in situations where they have felt stigmatized and um um maybe less than um so yeah they're not wanting to put themselves in a vulnerable position again to have somebody else judge them not to say that this is what all the parents are thinking but the, it, i understand that this is what can be there um so when i reach out to the parents i go through the brief summary of what on does as i explained why our approach not a counseling therapy service a trauma-informed psychological first aid approach i let the kids i let the parents know that in my conversations with the kids too, I am opening not only their awareness of themselves, their character and their situations, environments and what their triggers are and all those kind of things. But I'm also having conversations with the capacity that a parent has versus um, the capacity of the kid. Also, the responsibilities that a parent has versus the kids' responsibilities and um, helping them understand that, yes, kids at, at, at teenage years um, are wired for self-preservation and, and um, um, selfishness. Um, it's not the same for everybody. It's different levels. But the parent, and they can think very um, much of the times that it's the world resolves around them in the grand scheme of things. <clears throat> excuse me. But the parents have their lived experiences that they're dealing with, whether they have been supported in how they needed to be supported or not, whether they have the ability or capacity to be receiving support now, um, whatever it is that's going on for them. Also for a lot of the parents is they have work, they have bills, they have responsibilities, they have, is the, is the electricity been paid, gas, rent, mortgage, um, the vehicle payments, vehicle maintenance, groceries, dinner, is there food in the fridge for lunch tomorrow? Did I just get home and they've eaten everything that I did plan for lunch tomorrow and I have to go back out to the store? All of the things that kids do not have on their peripheral at all to even imagine they walk in the door and um, magically the sh the store came to the house and put the food into the press like they, they really don't think of it's like well, all mom had to do was stop at the store that's it but it's helping them understand like the parents are coming home and i i, I did um sometimes <laughs> i have these conversations with families clients um, and that's so many times that i'm kind of like am i repeating myself now or was that somebody else that i said <laughs> it to so i apologize if i repeat myself but um i help them understand in that sense of like that toddler tantrum when toddlers have their tantrums at home and toddlers especially young kids when they come home from school and they have that outburst they have that emotional meltdown parents want that too and i think i said that too i do there's times too 
and I open my door and I, when I hear my kids, I just want to shut that door and run again. And, and it's where my resentment comes into my husband because he doesn't come home till later in the evening. So he doesn't get that after school kind of meltdown that I get with the kids or I have to listen to, I suppose, with the kids. So for parents too, when they're walking in the door, drained from their day of work, whatever it is their job was or their responsibility was or whatever it is, they're coming in and they want to decompress. They want to just unwind and relax. And more often than not, the kids are rambunctious <laughs> or maybe energetic or talkative or maybe not. Maybe they're in a mood. Maybe there's an attitude. Maybe there's friction or whatever it is. But sometimes when we have multiple people in that kind of headspace in that home, it just feeds off friction in a sense. Um. So I do let it, the parents know that I have conversations with the clients, helping them understand to give their parents grace. Like it is OK to sit there and judge your parents attitude and judge how they are when you just I know school is not for everybody. But in the grand scheme of things, you're at home, you're in school. That's it. You don't have bills um, and, and many responsibilities for the most part Um, not to negate any negative experiences or traumas in life. But it's giving them that empathy for their parent that. It is not just walking in the door. It is maybe they've had a crappy day. Maybe they have a boss that they don't like. Maybe they have co-workers that they don't like. Maybe they're in customer service and they have the, the we, we've all seen experiences where people, um, um, where people are more than rude to um, service providers. It's, it's that um, privilege where it's, it, for some people, it's because they don't get what they want now. They feel it's okay to be how they speak to somebody. They can be rude. They can be ignorant. They can be demanding. Um, so we don't know what the parent has come home from, what their day has been like. And sometimes we're too quick to judge. We're too quick to attack each other. Um, and I tried to help the parents understand um, just quick snippets because... I'm one on one with the kids. I only talk to the parents on the phone for the referral and then in that first introductory meeting so that they both hear what to expect. And then moving forward, if there is situations that the that the client wants me to talk about with the parents, well, then I definitely do. Sometimes I actually have had um or I have had mom um ask, it's like, can you come back and have this conversation when dad is here? Because I think dad needs to hear this too. Um so I try to help them understand that piece of the kids where their self-preservation, selfishness, um, friends are their priority. Um <clears throat> Not to an extreme, but uh, um, which is different for everybody, but helping the parents understand the development of the brain, how the brain operates. Um, I'm not a professor, so it's not a technical conversation. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, the brain does what it knows best and what it knows best is what it does more often. So the more often we do something, the more often we're exposed to something. That's kind of how we inadvertently train ourselves how to act, behave, uh, respond, things like that. And the first five years of life is um, the most rapid goal of brain development, up to 85 percent of the brains developed in the first five years. So that sets the foundation for the trajectory of the rest of the life. Uh, the best thing about the brain is completely retrainable. Um, if the first five years haven't been the greatest um, experiences, we can work on with the tools um, and things we can work on improving that foundation. Um, but I help the parents understand that. A lot of the reactions we're seeing in, in the kids now, because I work with, uh, again, from the age of 13 and up. So when adolescent brain development is in high um, growth, helping them understand that a lot of the behaviors and struggles that we're seeing now as an adolescent 
um, when I meet with the clients, I'm helping them join the dots back to the root cause. And a lot of times the root cause comes up in those early childhood experiences. And sometimes when parents are in conflict with their kid and they're having an argument, they're standing, arguing or shouting at their kid in front of them, not realizing that their kid's behavior and struggle is coming from um, what they were exposed to um, as a toddler or what they heard or what um, that kind of looks like. Um, so in very basic conversations, I don't get into it. It is kind of bullet point summarized first. I do have some parents who do want to talk more about it. And then we definitely can like that parent, the mom who wanted me to come back and have that conversation about dad. Um, the brain is fully developed between the age of 25 to 32. So as a parent, we're we're supposed to have a fully developed brain, whether it's developed appropriately or not is is, is for each to determine themselves based on our lived experiences, based on our struggles, based on our traumas, and based on the work we do for ourselves to overcome our adversities. Um, so we are always responding from our experiences, which our lived experiences a lot more than our kids' lived experience. And our kids are responding from their lived experience, which is very minimal in the grand scheme of things. What parents don't realize at times too is because our brains are fully developed, we're able to go through the file of facts of our lived experiences pretty quick. We can remember all of the times that little Johnny swore he was not going to do that again. We can remember all the times that little Sally swore that she wasn't going to hit her brother again or whatever that looks like. We can go through it like that. We remember the promises. We remember the, um, the fights. We remember it all. The kids in the moment don't. Um, in fight, flight, um, the prefrontal cortex goes offline. So the limbic system, all of that, um, everybody is born with the ability to fight, flight, freeze. We develop the prefrontal cortex. We develop our ability for the thinking cap, which comes with the self-regulation, comes with that um, conflict resolution, the ability to communicate and all that that we develop. If that's not developed and worked on um, as a resource, a useful resource and tool, um, we don't have that thinking ability. We were left with the fight, flight, freeze. And a lot of the, for the kids, they're reacting in the moment because in their moment of reaction, they don't have the ability to think back to all the previous things. They don't have the ability to think of, oh yeah, mom is like really freaking angry at me right now because I've done this five times already. I swore I wouldn't do it again. In that moment, they're self-preservation. They're like, oh my God, I'm going to be killed. Like there's going to be a grave in the backyard for me. What can I say to save myself? What can I do to save myself? Who else can I throw on the bus? What? It's, they're not, and a, a lot of the issues I think too in trying to help my clients and parents understand is the subconscious messaging that the brain gives us that at times we don't even realize. But in situations like that, it's where the brain for the kid is like survival. It's like, I'm going to be killed right now. What can I say to save myself? While the parents are like, I cannot believe we're here again because we've done this five times already. We've, And this is where the parents' angst is coming from and their frustration is coming from. And the kid in the moment is thinking, well, mom and dad are just flying off the handle. Like, it's really not that bad. Why Why does this have to be that bad? They go, they come back after and understand. Um. But for the parents, it's kind of helping them understand to take a step back as hard as it can be to do at times to really sort of try and, and subconsciously catch yourself when you're reacting to your kid in a in a way that you where you're you're reacting to them where you're thinking their brain is at the same level as yours, because your um, approach to them is 
your prefrontal cortex should be online. You're going back through that file of facts of what's happened in the past and things that has been said. And But also what I help the clients, my kids understand too, for the parents, the parents are not only going back over their um, previous arguments with their kid, they're also what's coming to the surface for them is when they were in that situation with their parents. So as they're reacting to the situation at hand, but it's also pulling up previous historical situations for them too, because the brain does the brain stores everything. It forgets nothing. And uh, what we're pretty much left with is implicit and explicit memory, which is for the most part is we either remember how we felt or we remember the picture and how we felt um inside bodily uh, reactions to and outwardly environment reactions so sometimes too what parents don't realize is when they're reacting in that moment they're reacting for their frustration for the kid but it's also resurfacing childhood reactions for them when their parent might have overreacted to them or shouted at them or whatever that is um we repeat cycles that we don't mend so things that we don't work through to um we repeat and we keep repeating them until we actually realize, oh, crap, I shouldn't be doing that. There's some. Why am I doing that? Because I feel bad afterwards. Why do I keep doing it when I know I don't want to do it? What where is it coming from? And kind of looking within, in a sense. Um, I know not to compare apples to oranges um, and it's different for every family. And I, I suppose that what it is, is not do not compare yourself to the house next door. Do not compare yourself to your friends. Do not compare yourself to across the street or whoever else. We are so intimately different. We're so when we're emotionally involved, it is so different compared to when we're not. We can judge our friends, we can judge our family, we can judge others when we think that's a bit of an overreaction. And then we need to catch ourselves as like, ah, they're probably thinking the same of me in, in similar situations. Um, and it is recognizing our own bias when it comes to us in parenting our kids really sort of um give ourselves the grace of we make mistakes we you know we trip over ourselves we shout when we swore we weren't going to shout today but by jesus if i have to repeat myself 500 times again in one day i'm like you know it's but it's <laughs> how we come back afterwards it's like coming yeah. back and saying I'm sorry. I did not want to react that way. I did not want to shout. I, it's it's the coming back afterwards. And that's really where we mend that harm because we all make mistakes. We all we we react in ways that we don't realize is a trigger till we actually spend the time to trigger. And, and I think for me, there was an element for me with my own kids. Um, so my 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 oldest is 16, my youngest is eight. Um I was um I'm from a broken family and I lived with my dad from the age of about 14, 15. Um and it was pretty much I ran the house. Um and I love my dad to bits. I he's always a phone call. He's a continent away from me, but he's only a phone call. I know if I rang that man right now saying I need you, he would be on the next flight over. Um, but he didn't have the capacity to parent. When my when my my parents separated, my mom had done the parenting for years. My dad worked. So when they separated, I was at home. My dad still worked. He didn't have the like he didn't know how to be a dad, how to parent. Um, and the relationship was better as adults. He just didn't have that parent child relationship. And which is OK. We don't all have the ability um, to be who we exactly who our kid needs us to be every single day. It, it ebbs and flows. Um, but for me, I recognized as my kids were getting older, there were situations that was aggravating me, frustrating me that I was overreacting to. 
And I realized it was um, because sometimes I do the self-reflection on myself too. Not as much as I should either. That's a hypocrite in me too. I don't listen to my own advice when I'm talking to some of my clients as much as I would like to. But I realized I was overreacting at times to them because there was stuff I had to figure out as a 15-year-old. I had to figure out things that my kids that are coming to me to ask. And my reaction to them is like wrong because... I did not have somebody to show me how I had to figure it out. Not that I didn't. It was um, I knew dad was there. he was at work like he was the man who was gone in the morning before I left for school and he was back late in the evening when I had dinner ready and he worked overseas for a period of time too while I was at home. So it was I figured things out myself um, and I think that's um, I, I'm sure it's my dad's work ethic I had even as a young age I'm I'm stubborn I'm like I'm I am I'm stubborn I have to um now I'm not quite so stubborn now I have four kids I make the most of the kids to do things for me but I come back and I have the conversations with my kids in the sense of like I am sorry that I shouted at you or I'm sorry I reacted I had to figure that out when I was your age so the fact that you asked me I react in the place that I was wrong it was so it's having those kind of comeback, explaining to the kids why you overreact, um, which is so hard and different and intimate, intricately different for families. Because if you don't, if you do not, um, if the families don't grow together with that ability to communicate, where they don't come and have those conversations, it's hard as teenagers when the um conflict kind of really comes out. It's hard to develop a habit then that hasn't been in place. Um, for me, I've always been open and honest with my kids, age appropriately. I um over the years I have, and and the older they get, and my oldest, I have said to her multiple times, I'm like. I did not have anybody parenting me at this at the age you are now um, and you're the oldest. So I'm going to fuck up and make the mistakes on you <laughs> and the others are going to get away easy because I've, like, I've learned my lesson. Um, but also it's a sense of I had nobody showing me how to do it at that age. So um, I'm sorry that you're the oldest. It did, you know, maybe you should have chosen to come a little bit after like or whatever. But um, it is coming back and recognizing that. Why I reacted at that moment, I was triggered from my earlier experiences, not my kids fault, not even my own fault, but it's giving me the grace to like, it's OK to make a mistake and it's coming back and saying I made that mistake and having that conversation um, and trying to for parents, it's really trying to instill that to the best of your ability, because everybody's capacity is different on their every day it depends on whether you slept last night what you ate what they maybe somebody said to you what your boss was like or co-worker was like or whatever we get drained every day so our capacity today might be met our capacity tomorrow might be better so it's kind of choosing i'm not going to have that conversation with them today and then tomorrow i was like okay now i have the ability and um, to have that conversation i recommend to the parents too for difficult conversations and even to start to develop the ability to talk with easier conversations and to have snacks and um, healthy snacks and um, preferably because I don't want to develop unhealthy eating habits, but letting them know the chewing motion of the jaw helps you self-regulate. That's why I incorporate food. Um, it's not always the healthiest food my kids, uh, my clients choose because when I pick them up, I ask them, where do you want to go? Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? What would you like to eat? And I let them know the only thing there's no steak or lobster um so for the but for the most part um for the most of my clients it's always it's uh drive-through um so drive-throughs are usually not the the healthiest option either but if i'm meeting them once every few weeks 
it's not the end of the world and then also I'm not asking them what are they eating in between so then I don't have to feel bad if they're eating too much kind of of the wrong food um but then there is some of my clients um that that's the only time they get that kind of food is when they meet with me and there are some who um really pay attention to where they want to go because they do want to enjoy when they get it um so for parents I let them know is incorporate snacks when you need to have that conversation or over a meal it doesn't have to be snacks it can be over a meal but also i say too is like we don't want to create unhealthy eating habits when we're stressed under situations like that so trying to have it yes you can have a couple of treats but fruit vegetables whether it is a, a meal or something like that just so that they're aware of that too so it doesn't kind of become that um bad habits i suppose um and i think uh, for parents too it's we internalize so much guilt and shame ourselves like we are so hard on ourselves um that what I try to sometimes when I'm saying to the kids too is like would you talk to your friend that way the way you talk to yourself that internal monologue mm-hmm. and I think we're the same as parents we're so quick to judge ourselves and so could we feel guilty we know when we've made mistakes and we know when um uh, we're not comfortable with it um and i think that honesty being honest with our kids in saying to them i don't know how to be your parent i'm doing the best that i can and that's all we can do and it's helping the kids understand that that their parents capacity is the best that they can give you whether you want more or whether you want different that's your you're responsible for how you feel but your the parent they have their capacity for some of them i have to say a lot of my clients the parents kind of share their earlier childhood experience and share the adversity and and the traumas and things that they've had in their lives and and, and also what they've overcome in that too so the kids do have a level of understanding um but as kids they internalize so much too with self-blame they internalize that it's their fault um so trying to encourage parents for that communication have the conversation if you're not saving the kids by not telling them not having the conversation with them by ignoring because as the kids they internalize their own monologue if you don't tell them what's happening or give them a story they're picking up on on the feelings on the environment on on behaviors what's happening and they're telling themselves a story and it's usually negative internalized negative that it's their fault so be honest as much as you are comfortable as being honest with the kids age appropriately too um and i i even when i say the term age appropriately it's the wrong term because you could have a 14 year old mm-hmm. that is mature as a 17 year old and you could have a 14 year old that's a 11 12 year old's uh, maturity so it's not even just like the age appropriate but that maturity level that development that they have and as parents you know how you how much of a conversation you can have with your kids um you know what it you can kind of judge their reactions louise has so much valuable information for us and there are many on our team who do join us for our online conference a divorce symposium on september the 26th that's a tuesday evening for three hours and there will be a lineup of experts that will share information and supportive valuable tips for you to be supported through a divorce or separation 
whatever area or whatever stage you are experiencing it. Tickets are available now at the early bird price. They're on Eventbrite. Links are in the show notes. It's only 25 bucks. And there's also an option, pardon me, to get all the replays. So be sure and check that out. And let's get back to Louise and hear more about what she has to offer in the way of how to how to help your youth, how to support them, especially if they're experiencing some crisis in their lives. Um, and for some, I know for me with my four girls, they're so completely different that it always so completely different that it makes sense. But at the same time, like, how can they be sisters are so different? But my oldest and I really, really struggle with that. You, I can't talk to her. She's just one where she does not. She does not like talk about feelings. She does not like talk about things. And I'm like, this does not rhyme with me. This doesn't, <laughs> we do not match. Like this is something happened where you switched at birth because this is not. But I recognize that's her personality. She, she wasn't always that way up to about 10 or 11. I could have any kind of conversation with her and it was very open and, and um, comfortable. And now since her teenage years, she's like, no like her ears like honestly yeah but my next my 14 year old I could talk about anything to her um she's not afraid to ask questions where I've had to say to her um can you choose the right setting to ask those kind of questions <laughs> make sure your sisters are not there make sure we're not out in public either um but it it is knowing your kid and as a parent you know them you know the type of conversation that you can have with them you know how far for how long how much you can push whether it is hey we need to have a little bit of a difficult conversation at the seven o'clock to see after dinner work for you whether you need to give them that bit of a heads up or whether it's like hey we have some free time now do you can we sit down and have this quick conversation we know our kids best we know how to have approach with them beforehand that really paying attention to what the conversation needs to be about and how you know your kid is going to need to be approached to have that conversation and because if not sometimes we sabotage the situation before we even start and I'm being aware of their capacity in the moment you might have the capacity to have the conversation they might not have the capacity so it's kind of like checking in with the sense of um, okay, we need to have this conversation about um, your your grades or whatever that is. Um, we need to have it soon. Do you think you have the capacity to have this conversation later today? You would, you know, tomorrow, the next day, like, what are you thinking? Giving them the autonomy to themselves of like recognizing, oh man, I had a test in math this afternoon. Like, do we really have to talk about my grades? Giving them the opportunity to listen to their body to see whether they can actually sit and have the space to have that conversation because if not tension conflict that friction it's like oh i can't talk to them because it just kind of comes out in an, in an escalation generally speaking it's not always um as that way but just for parents is kind of what way do you wish your parents would have spoken to you when you were a kid? What way do you wish you were treated? What is it that annoys you about how people treat you or did treat you? And then what like what, what respect would you like to give to your kid then so that it's not repeating that or you're not putting them in a position to feel a way that you know you don't like feeling? So it's just sometimes taking those few minutes to have that conversation with yourself about what do we need to talk about? why do I even have the capacity and then having the, that chat check in with with your with your kid to say okay 
Do you when do you think you have the capacity? But also, um, and at times too, what I recommend is timing it, especially if you're not used to having difficult conversations. Set a timer on your phone that you just like have 10, 15 minutes, depending on what it is. And when that timer goes off, the conversation stops. Um, and also too, if if conversations more often than not end up in an argument and up in a heated argument or kind of friction at each other if you know you only have the capacity for your parent or as a parent you only have the capacity for your child for a certain amount of time because they start getting distracted or they start kind of getting a bit agitated or whatever that is set the timer um, and then each time you have the conversation you know okay last time we did it for 15 minutes and we were okay let's let's try 20 this time or maybe we'll keep it 15 again and try 20 the next time or maybe it's 45 minutes, whatever works for you. But when it's something that's new, if you haven't been doing it already, I do like slow and steady, keep it to um, pre-plan what the conversation is going to be about with each other and set that timer um, and go from there. You are a wealth of information, Louise, and you have so many tools that you can offer parents from your education as well as your experience. So I just want to summarize what you've shared with us so far, because I think that is really a great place for people to start. Understanding that the child is at a different capacity, maybe for understanding or being or participating in a conversation the way that the parent is mm -hmm. giving some grace to the child's reactions, their day. Uh, their their childhood experiences that a lot of that is factoring into what will be happening in that mm -hmm. conversation or the reactions and responses to it, as well as their own as a parent, what are you bringing into this, and give yourself some grace, speak kindly to yourself, and incorporate food, think about your timing, offer the child an opportunity to participate in the in choosing when to have those conversations let them know what it's about don't say there's something I need to talk to you about maybe that mm -hmm. mysterious part that, that just came into my head because that creates all kinds of fear and imaginings like you've said before it just they experience I'm gonna die it's gonna be the worst <laughs> ever and <laughs> I reminds I'm, it or what did I do I don't know <laughs> yeah. what I did what are you know or did she find out about whatever it might be so I think those are really great tips that's really great places to start and the key, I loved what you said. How would you have wanted someone to talk to you when you were a child, when you mm -hmm. have that conversation? And I know something that I've seen now that my children are adults and I've got, uh, you know, preteen or sorry, they're both teens now, teenage stepchildren. I've got grandchildren. So now I have a little bit of experience and I, I look back and say, oh my God, my children are adults. When I was speaking to them when they were children, if I could have envisioned that these are going to be adults in my mm -hmm. life, what memories do I want them to have of the conversations that we had? What was the relationship that, that I want, you know, what relationship do I want with them when they're adults? I'm creating mm -hmm. that now I'm creating that when they're children and, you know, really thinking about that now, you know, there's much, much more that you can share with us, but I don't want to just fire hose people either. So, <laughs> Um, if there are parents out there that feel that they could benefit from the service that you offer, you have one-on-one -on -one service, uh, that is at no cost to families. Can you tell us a bit about the service you offer and how, how parents 
you you briefly mentioned about the referral process at the beginning. How would parents first hear from you or be in contact with you if they aren't the ones to initiate that contact? And if they are, how would they do that? Mm-hmm. Um, so if they haven't initiated the contact, um, I've been given their contact number. So when I give a call, I give a brief summary of like, say, hey, um, this is Louise phoning from Onum. Dina gave me your contact details to see if I could, you know, help the family. Is now a good time to call or is there a better time you want me to phone back at? Um, the, um, the conversation kind of starts off that way. Um, for the referral in... I can help the parents and the families. As I said I, I can meet with them if they wanted to. Uh, primarily, it is one on one with the client. I come back to the parents if the client gives me permission to. So, um, the conversations I have with my clients is kind of um a lot of that easy kind of conversations around understanding the brain, why we kind of do things, understanding other people's capacities, our own capacities of self reflection. If things kind of come up more and more, I kind of say, hey. Do you can I talk to mom about this? Like, do you think can I uh, or help you have a conversation? But like, I, I bring that in. Sometimes it takes a few attempts before they say yes, um, and sometimes they're like, no, they don't want to, um, and that's totally okay too. For the parents, I do rec, uh, I do make sure that they are aware of that my attention is the kids, and it is I will come to you if they give me the permission to. Um, I have had a few parents too who do reach out themselves, like when they're struggling with um, uh, their, my client or even some of their siblings, it is um, for them too, it's uh, where definitely counseling for them as well and sometimes parents are seeing the counselors and it's just kind of in the moments and um it's not a service that i promote it's just that i don't get an influx of the parents sort of ringing in a sense but for some of them where there is that in more kind of turmoil or more friction with the kids i do say to them like just give me a ring if something's going wrong like if it is getting heated or um they're escalated or whatever um i don't go into details that the kids have shared with me but i can kind of help mom in the moment to decompress herself um, or dad in the moment for him to decompress and have the right conversation of when to like just let them breathe just give them some time to breathe give them um a chance to kind of cool down um then which is as parents they know the relationship they have with the kids and it's not this it's not again not one size fits all it's what works for you in your family is obviously what i would recommend to do but sometimes for the kids too is get a shower even change out of clothes for parents too even for mom um and sometimes too, this is again where i'm a hypocrite and i need to do it myself more often is when we come in the doors change our clothes because so much actually stress from the day we release when we take off the clothes we've had in the day it's almost like um the psychologist that end of it is too professional and scientific that I'm I'm not totally um um educated in to go into, but I do know it releases stress from the day. Not all stress, but some of it. So sometimes too, after that argument, go change your clothes. Maybe mom go get a shower or go put your pajamas on or recommend to the kids it's like to go do something like that too. Um, um if that's what the family kind of reach out reaches out to to help. Um if they for the most part, I have been given their contact details to connect to, but I have had some, as I said, um, where 
um, oh, sorry, that was probably actually the previous episode, um, where referrals that um, friends have referred to them or family members have referred to them or even there's one case, I think it was a neighbour. Um, I always try to ask when I do get a referral, Obviously, if it's not if it's not a, if it's a referral agency, I know who it's coming from. But otherwise, when I get a phone call, I do ask, "Hey, how did you hear about me?" I always kind of ask, "How did you hear?" Um, and it's always um client referred for the most part. It's either client referred or the organization um referred to another organization because um um the clients have been sharing uh, how wonderful I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> and for families, then it is. I am helping them too. I, and also, again, I'm not for everybody and I might not be what that family needs. I might be able to help the client, but I might not be what the family needs. How can I refer them to? And there is the FRN Family Resource Network with the McMahon Central. They do have family unit um, services where they come in and help the family unit as a whole. So if it's that relevancy, I do too. Um, if there's something else, I make the phone calls for the family. I don't give them a number. Um, I make the phone calls. I speak to humans. I ask the questions to make sure I'm getting the right person. And then I give the contact to the parent. Um, because again, the, a lot has gone on in these families' lives that unfortunately a lot of um refer agencies referred to. And I remember I had one day um, I think it was in the first six months of opening on them and there was a family in an urban center um, and because they were an urban center I was very much trying to get them this the resource in that um, urban center and they were per they were um, wanting that too they were like how can like do you know where can help me where can I go all of that and they were quite happy to kind of reach get a, a service in, in that urban center I spend five hours and I am not lying. I spend five hours at my kitchen counter phoning and phoning and talking to people and uh, them giving me somebody else to phone and talk to. And it was um, so frustrating. It was honestly so frustrating um, that no wonder these families are don't reach out when they're given a number because uh, and I'm not lying it, it was four hours and 54 minutes maybe not all out five hours but it was close to five hours that day but I was sitting at my kitchen counter I was on hold um and I was put through to somebody else or I got an automated voice machine it was COVID actually too then at that time too because it was people not working in office and um, so they didn't have as much access to their voicemail so um yeah it was so frustrating and I was only trying to get to talk to somebody for this family I wasn't even the family so I can imagine how stressful it would have been for mom in that situation um and it turns out the only kind of solid lead I got to refer to the family they already had they'd already reached out to and it wasn't what they were looking for so it's so so hard um i did ref i even i rang another agency um that's um and explained that the family wanted support they didn't want to end up in the hospital again they wanted to get the um supports and what i was told was to tell them to go to the hospital um so it, it's yeah it it is so frustrating um so for families too for sometimes for these families i tell them tell me what you need and I will do all of the calling and, and everything that needs to be done because 
you don't need to do that. You've done enough. You've been through enough. You're here. You know you need you want this, but you you know you don't want the hours it's going to take to get to the right uh, department or right person or, or whatever that is. Um, so I do offer that too in the sense of if I can do it for you, give it to me to do. Um, if you know exactly who to call, obviously you can do it yourself or if you have that contact. Um, but it, it's just trying to, any way we can, decrease the stress for the family and not add to it. So Louise, that itself is a side, an additional service, an additional way that you support people. Can you, can you briefly tell us, you've given us some incredible tools for parents to consider. Tell us a bit for anybody who hasn't been back and, and heard our initial interview with you about what you offer. What is it that you do for youth and also a, a bit about the high risk youth that you serve. Mm -hmm. And that was in your last question that I went off on. <laughs> um, um, that's my, um, uh, so yeah, the, and my brain, when I start talking about one thing, it's like, oh, this other thing that I need to say. So um, yeah, Onam Rural Youth is a trauma-informed crisis intervention, psychological first aid approach service to youth and young adults from the age of 13 to 25 approximately they're not set in stone uh, 25 is not set in stone 13 we have some 12 year olds but we don't go on there very much um it's a mobile support service um, we travel to youth in rural communities and uh, throughout central alberta and um, who are struggling with mental health high conflict divorce parent conflict bullying ordering threats inappropriate use of social media um self-harming uh, suicidal ideations um um anything I, I have to say that um there is nothing that we have said no to but if if there's a lot more of diagnoses if there's a lot more um um going on that we physically is outside of our area my area of expertise i'm i'm honest i say that too um so we travel to the clients in um the rural communities is a free service um i meet my clients um i get the referral and when i receive a referral i contact the parent and um, give a summary of our services. And then we book an introductory meeting where I meet with the parent and the kid together. So they both hear what to expect. They both know um, um, moving forward. It's not a counseling or therapy service. It is that psychological first aid approach. So it's helping the kids understand the development of the brain, impacts of trauma and the experiences and the why behind their behaviors, struggles, emotions, whatever it is that's kind of going on for them um, helping them um, in a, in a way it's kind of like when I meet with them it's sort of like motiv motivational interviewing more so than like psychotherapy um, uh, because I'm not a therapist, as I've said, I do, uh, do have a diploma to try psychology certified community and workplace traumatologist um, more certificates than I want to actually get into when it comes to um <laughs> impacts of the yeah I had to do a list for a presentation before and I was like I am not even beginning to um name that out but um 
It's a free service, if I've said that, when we pick up our client, we meet our clients where they're at. So we meet them in their community. I can meet them in school. Um, I can pick them up pretty much once, pre-arranged, pick them up wherever they need to be picked up at. I bring them for something to eat. Um, or I can, if I meet them in school, I say, hey, what food drink do you want me to bring? And I bring in what it, what, what it is they want. Um, I incorporate the food piece because the chewing motion of the jaw helps you self-regulate, helps kind of build that connection. And I say to the kids too, I'm tricking you into trusting me. Um, and they, they, yeah, I say that to them too. Um, so it is, we receive referrals um, any which way they come in. We make the referral process as quick and as easy as we can. We do have a referral form, but that's not necessary to use. It's nice to have it because then just kind of bullet points of the information we need, but even a phone call with um, name, number and a brief why you want me to contact them is, is what all we need because it's the family, the kid, the client themselves is who we get the information from. Uh, I work with helping them with their opinion of what they want help with um, and working from that projection out, getting a history of what their experiences have been so I can help them join those dots back and help them understand because of this and, and um, those kind of things too um that kind of feeds into some of the parent stuff too that i have found that sometimes parents don't realize the traumas that the kids have experienced um so in some situations where it depends on what has happened in the home um if the kid hasn't been a direct victim, they don't realize that the the, the child can still be traumatized. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it is um, from what they see or what they hear. And um, sometimes too, it's not even necessarily the family unit itself. It could be the neighbor. So, you know, maybe the neighbor's over talking to mom and they're overhearing something. Sometimes it is kind of helping them understand. Um, and, and two, helping parents kind of understand that a traumatic experience is not always a big, gory, huge um crash or explosion or a big thing there's like two types of trauma there's um type one and type two trauma um where a type one trauma is like an accident it's something that's unpredictable it's unplanned you didn't know what's going to happen it's it's it happens once and you can have um you you can have adverse reactions after it but if you're given the tools if you're given the coping mechanisms to deal with it chances are it eases there um and ptsd is not something that develops from it but type two trauma is something that is progressive over time. You can't control. You know it's going to happen. So if there is abuse in the family or if there is aggression or if there is um, bullying and um, things like that, that is over a period of time and does not stop, that's a traumatic experience. Uh, and sometimes, too, it's kind of helping the parents understand what is a traumatic experience, helping them understand the symptoms of it, too, because a lot of symptoms of trauma man um, also are symptoms of learning disabilities or other diagnoses too. So it's sometimes um, I always encourage um, and, it's, and it's not for everybody um, and everybody I always recommend do what you are comfortable with, do what, what you want to do. Uh, but I always recommend learn about yourself. The more you know about yourself, the better you can set yourself up for success. And I sometimes my I have to, I help my clients have these conversations with the parents because we're from a generation where you did not talk about feelings you did not talk about um who said what or things were suppressed things were kept in diagnosis was a bad thing like if you were diagnosed with something mm -hmm. there was something wrong with you so we're very much as parents 
coming out of that generation. We're learning when we know better, we do better. Um, but it's hard to retrain ourselves when we were raised in an era um, that was the messaging that we received. So I tried to help the clients understand why maybe the parent does not want to bring you to a pediatrician or a psychologist or to have a psychoeducation assessment or to have anything diagnosed to help them understand that um, and also to help them to have the right conversations in you can be diagnosed if there is something going on. You don't have to be medicated. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. You don't even have to go to a psychologist to pay the 25, 700, 3000, whatever it is now for an assessment. You can get a doctor, uh, your doctor refer you to a pediatrician. They can do a lot of that kind of assessments and um, to diagnose too, where it's not expensive. It's at no cost. But I, I always recommend to utilize opportunities to learn more about yourself and use what you learn to give yourself more opportunities to learn more about yourself. So if it is um, a, a diagnosis of any kind, um, and for me, I'll use myself, I'm late in life diagnosed ADHD. I recognize if I had been diagnosed as a teenager, my life would have been different. At the same time, I'm glad I wasn't because maybe I wouldn't be here now doing what I'm doing now. Um, but I recognize how I was treated. I recognize how I was spoken to as a kid. I recognize what I lived with thinking I there was something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And then realizing later in life, it was just my, I was wired different. That's pretty much it. I was wired different. And those around me didn't have the capacity to try to understand me, to give me that ability to set me up for success, I suppose. Um, but I have it now. And maybe that's why I really sort of, encourage that because I lived through it I didn't live through it in a in a really like I know there's people who had a, a lot worse than what I did but I also know that things could have been so different for me and the judgment and how I how I felt um was so different and then recognizing as I was growing up I was blaming others projecting that they made me feel that way that was what they were doing but now it's like we we feel it ourselves so encouraging it's not to get a diagnosis or to rule it out one way or the other it's so that you know the information you need and it's what you do with it that counts and it's like for me it's like reading more about it how can i figure out my triggers how can i figure out where my symptoms are maybe higher and lower than others and and um, what works for me and um and and those kind of conversations too and i use that too in in um in the conversation when i'm talking to the parents too that sometimes the kids they internalize how they feel. Um, sometimes it's not by what you say, it's what you don't say. Um, and an example that I use, because I do use personal examples appropriately, I don't go in anything too inappropriate. When I was growing up, I remember um, I was about eight or nine and I was in my grandparents' house and I was asked, what did I want to be when I grew up? And I wanted to be a lawyer. And I said, I wanted to be a lawyer. And for a lot of my younger years, I wanted to be a lawyer. And I had forgotten this memory, but... Um, my uh I when we were leaving the house my mother ate me told me never to say that again got on to me for saying it and told me never to say that again she never said that I would never make a lawyer she never said that I was too stupid to be a lawyer never said anything like that she just got on to me for saying it and told me never to say it again um I have an older sibling and um I knowing now that I was ADHD younger I struggled in school I, I didn't I passed everything I didn't fail anything but now I'm kind of wondering geez if I had to put a bit of effort in how well I would have actually done but I struggled especially in areas that did not interest me um but my sibling was always praised for being so smart 
always like oh like she's so smart she's going to be this when she goes up and she's going to be that and never said anything about me never said I was smart but never said I never said I was stupid but never said I was smart either didn't say anything and when you're hearing that so many times where you're hearing a sibling has been praised and then nothing is said about you you internalize a message yourself so to me I'd internalize that message that I was stupid I had forgotten about the lawyer message till uh, quite a few years ago no not quite a few years ago 2017 2018 my niece said she wanted to be a lawyer when she grew up and I actually I was triggered I I got so fr I was triggered that I, I was shocked at my reaction like I, I didn't I wasn't angry or outburst or anything I was like my reaction was negative and I made little of her um her saying that she wanted to be a lawyer and I, I kind of like really there's a big difference between arguing with your mother and arguing with a judge do you know that kind of thing but it it bugged me like my reaction I did not like how I reacted to that and I know it was more of an internal feeling I'm sure she probably sensed that maybe I was uncomfortable but it was more how I felt inside and I really worked on that for a period of time before that actual memory that I had suppressed came back and I was like that's why I felt so uncomfortable when she said that I was never told I was stupid but I always listened to a sibling being told how smart she was and nothing said about me. So I internalized that. I resented my mother for years for it. Even when I grew um, older, um, a young adult insane trying to say that to her and what she did and she denied it. And um, so it's me older now and understanding myself. She never intended me to feel that way. She had no idea I felt that way. I felt that way because of what I was listening to, but she did not realize what the impact that that had on me she didn't intend it to have that impact on me but she didn't realize it did so it was like I had internalized a hatred and a hatred is a bit too strong but a frustration to my mother to treat me that way because I felt that's how she was treating me but then realizing she didn't mean to so I use that with my parents too it's not always what you say it's what you don't say and what they're going away with mm -hmm. uh, again it comes back to we all make mistakes but we can come back and apologize and come back and have that conversation we can come back and like did you pick me up the right way or did you pick up something different it's kind of like clarifying what is your takeaway right now and does it match my intention um because i know for me sometimes too i'm terrible at explaining things to my kids I'm terrible I'm awesome with my clients I'm, I'm like some you know but when it comes to my own family I'm kind of like I've talked too much today that I lose the ability to talk to my own kids at times too and I'm kind of like I'm sorry I didn't even understand what I just said to you so I know you didn't understand so it's it's again it's coming back to those conversations those after pieces that we make mistakes we can we can walk away with with frustrations but it's the coming back is how we mend the bond and how we lessen and lessen those mistakes thank you for sharing that louise it always is more memorable too when you yeah. share a story around it and and it's like what was that point she made oh yeah the lawyer thing right okay i remember and then it comes back now back again to the referrals i just want to clarify you mentioned that a lot of times it's client referrals. Are are kids able to self-refer at all if they yeah. have a friend? And then also, I believe once they're 16, the parent may not be involved. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, 16 and over, we don't need parental consent. Uh, better, if, if we can get it, we do get it. Um, but if it's if it's not available, we don't need it. Um, kids can self-refer. Um, I have had some who have phoned me themselves. Um, and um, I have a mixture of um, who phoned me, who their counsellor actually spoke to them about me. And then they went and got the number and phoned me. And then I have others where um, their friend, they their friend had mentioned about me and then it kind of came up a few times and had said how maybe you should see Louise. Like, I think Louise might, you know, be able to help you with this or whatever. And then they kind of get comfortable enough too as well um recognizing again it is not for everybody too that even for some the ability to pick up the phone is not always the easiest so there is that text if a, if a client feels they're more comfortable texting they can do that too um to refer um that's totally okay because it is in that first kind of introduction meeting when we have more of a conversation so it it's not dependent on the phone call beforehand um so we do we try to make it as easy um, for those who are struggling as, uh, uh, as well as as easy for the referring agency too. Well, and I think it's important that that access is there and also that it's a place where they can at least start, they can explore. And if you aren't the right person that you're also willing to help facilitate yeah. them finding the, the, the right fit for them. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's pretty amazing. Thank you so much, Louise, for your time today and all of your contact information will be shared in the show notes. People can easily access you that way. Also episode 26, they can go back and hear even more about your work and, and how that, how that happens and your why. Is there any, any parting thought that you'd like to leave for parents? Um, parting thought. Um, oh, um, I think it's just, be gentle with yourself. Recognize that you're doing the best that you can and that's the best that you can do. Being hard on yourself because you didn't uh, cook a five-course meal or you didn't vacuum the floor or whatever it is, it, it's not going to do you any good. It's recognizing just be gentle on yourself. You're doing the best that you can do with what you have in the moment and that's all that you can do. That's great because that that is supportive, especially when they're just so frustrated with everything in life and just go, whoa, okay, I'm doing yeah. the best I can. Yeah. And they can approach then their, their kids in from a, from a healthier space. Thank you, Louise, for the work that you do. We need more of you as we've said before, <laughs> I've said before. And I don't know if my husband will agree with that either. It's like <laughs> one Louise is enough. <laughs> okay. Well, we will definitely talk to you again and share more mm -hmm. and probably the next time you'll be talking more to the kids yeah. and, and give them some, some bits of tips and advice as well. Take care. Thank you. Hopefully you heard something today that helps you wherever you might be in life. Do you have questions or a suggestion for a topic you want to know more about? Let me know. Check the show notes for all the contact information. Follow this podcast and find us on social. Know anyone who might find this information helpful? Be a friend and share it. And hey, thank you for hanging out with me today. Keep smiling that beautiful smile. The world needs your sunshine. It means a lot that you spend this time with us and meet our experts and professionals who can help you through divorce or separation. Please refer to our terms of service available on our website, divorcemagazinecanada.com. The link is in the show notes. Our disclaimer, 
divorce resource groups, blog, and all content, including our podcast, is intended to educate and provide quality, credible resource information. The contents should not be used as factual until consultation with the appropriate professionals for any guidance. Divorce Magazine Canada does not constitute endorsements for nor liability for any claims made in the presenting of this information.